I'm so glad that you're here uh, this morning. If you just graduated from anything, like, would you, would you want to stand so that we can just celebrate you if you just graduated? Oh, yeah. Way to go. Come on. Didn't you just, didn't you just, come on, dude. That was law school, right? Right? Yes, man. Just some, some cool stuff. I've been uh, seeing a lot of pictures on Facebook and so forth. Congratulations, you guys, uh, through all the hard work. I'm sure that it's been uh, pretty amazing. So uh, we just want to celebrate you and, and just say way to go, way to work hard. That's, that's awesome. Um, this last week, we had the opportunity here at Outward Church to host uh, the Acts 29 Regional um, Conference. And what that essentially means is we're a part of a network called Acts 29 uh, I think we're upward of 500 churches, most of which are in the U.S. Uh, many are also outside of the U.S. and uh, all over the world. And uh, long story short, we're a part of a, a regional area within Acts 29, uh, which includes Oregon, Washington, Idaho, um, and uh, Alaska. Northern California may be in there as well. I, I cannot remember. But um, long story short, that's what we uh, did this last week. We had this regional conference, had about 80 guys over at my house uh, this last Sunday night. We had uh, many, many Outward Church volunteers there. And um, I just want to tell you that um, the volunteers did an amazing job. I cannot believe uh, what was pulled off there in uh, communicating love uh, to these men and just Gratitude for what they're doing throughout the Northwest, planting new churches. Um, many, many new peop uh, people come to faith through new churches. New churches are one of the best ways to reach unreached people groups. In fact, I would say it's the only way uh, to reach people and through the people from uh, those churches going out throughout their community. And so uh, we did that Sunday night, Monday morning uh, through Monday afternoon. We had uh, a, a conference time here. Uh, in the building, and I just want to thank, again, all of our volunteers for being a part of that. Thanks to many of you for giving as well, um, because some of uh, our finances went into that as well, and so we were able to bless them and to put on an amazing event, and so we're just thankful that uh, the Lord allowed us to be a part of that. I've got a quick video to show you, just a recap of what happened there. Take a look at this. So you were a part of that, so thanks for, for being a part of that. And uh, we also support an Acts 29 church planter, James Marchetti, um, up in um, uh, Alaska. And so he was here as well. We got to um, chat with him just a little bit and see how things are going uh, for him. So that was super cool. And uh, just want to continue to encourage you to give faithfully because these are some of the things that we're putting uh, dollars behind uh, new churches that are serving in their communities, helping their local communities, um, not just with their physical needs, but with their spiritual needs as well. And so um, I want to encourage you with that. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 again. And so if you would turn there, we'll be finishing up uh, that chapter. Uh, we started that this, this last week and uh, came to a point where I just felt like we just needed to stop. And so I didn't finish exactly what I had going. So this is kind of part two of what we started last week. But Really what this chapter is talking about is the, the difference between folly and wisdom. The difference between being a fool and being wise. And what that looks like in our lives. I told you a quote about 
or, or from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that says, The doorstep to the temple of, of wisdom is the knowledge of our own ignorance. The doorstep to the temple of wisdom is the knowledge of our own ignorance. Now, all of us in here who are Christians must hear this and understand that many of us have ignorance. In fact, all of us do, to one degree or another, have a level of ignorance that we're unaware of. We're unaware of the way that we affect our surrounding community. One of the uh, most hurtful things to the name of Jesus Christ are Christians and their mouths and what they are saying. So there's two different things that he's going to talk about from verse 12 and on here. And it's essentially, if I could boil it down to two things, it's going to be what we say and what we do. What we say to the people around us, whether it's our family or uh, the public, on social media, or what have you, and then what we do, how we present ourselves, and the way that we work, and the way that we operate within our community. And so many times we get these things wrong, because somehow we think, well, I'm redeemed, and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come, and all y'all are going to hell in a handbasket, all right? And so I can say whatever I want. I, I can do whatever I want. Uh, sometimes when the racial issues, the racial tensions that come up, that have been coming up over this last week through the, the, the riots and the uh, police brutality or alleged police, police brutality, depending on how you look at that, uh, many of us can either have thoughts or voice our thoughts on things that we know nothing about. And we say things uh, that we don't even understand because most of us in here, most of us in Salem, frankly, are not African-American, but many of us are just white middle-class people. And so we don't understand what's happening there, so we voice our opinion. And what I'm here to say and what the scriptures are here to say is this, is that when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to being somebody who fears God, which ultimately is the beginning of knowledge, when it comes to someone who fears God, like, it needs to be done with wisdom. It, your life needs to be executed with wisdom. Otherwise, you're going to be spouting things off that sound ridiculous. You're going to be talking about things that you know nothing about. So that has to do with what we're saying and then what we're doing and the way that we operate. So many times, is, is, it, it, we're, we're living life in such a way that it's, it, it's just foolish. Either because we somehow... Uh, give this uh, credence to this idea that, you know, I'll just let God take care of everything and I'll just go do whatever I want. I'll just let God take care of everything and, and, I'll, and I'll just, you know, I'll just kind of wait on him when really God has a responsibility for us in our lives. God has responsibility for us within the context of our marriages or in our schooling or in the context of being single right now. God has something for you to do. And it has some what to do with uh, common sense, but I also just want, kind of want to bring that into the Christian sphere and just say there's a level of common sense that oftentimes we lack, and we must get back. We must get back to the point where there's common sense that, that gets into our psyche and in, in the midst of our, our world and, the, and what we're talking about, but there's a way to overdo that, and I'll get to that in uh, a few minutes. He started off chapter 10, verse 1, by saying this, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And what he's saying by this is you can have this great-smelling perfume, this ointment, and you can get a fly in your ointment. And that fly represents just a little bit of folly. And it essentially covers your entire life. You can do everything right, and then you can just have this little fly in your ointment, and it gives off a stench. Your life will give off a stench. As a Christian, if you're somebody who's living life in two different ways, like most of my life is this way, but then there's this one area of my life, there's this one little thing, <clears throat> essentially you're representing Jesus Christ, and your life can give off a stench. But let's just say that you're here today, and you're not a Christian. The same is true for you as well, where you can be operating in life and everything can be going fine. You can be pretty much uh, moral in so many 
different ways, but then you can just kind of screw up in one little way, lose your job, lose your family, lose everything. Why would I say that? I'd say that because of this. The Bible is speaking common sense here. It can speak to you. That will only go so far. I'll tell you more about that in a few minutes. But I'll say this, that whether you're a believer or whether you don't claim to be a believer today, you need to understand what this is saying, that just a little bit of folly in your life can really mess things up for you. We'll pick it up in verse 12. Verse 12 says this, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. So we're starting off with what we say. You could use this word for favor. The NIV, I believe, translates it as this. And it says, the words of a wise, man, wise man's mouth uh, are gracious, are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. What this is saying is this, is that there's a graciousness that comes about by somebody who has wisdom. There's a graciousness that comes about from those of us who truly understand what wisdom is. I remember learning this as a young man. Proverbs 12, 16 says, The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. So many times I would, I would throw up my hands and I would get upset because I felt like someone had insulted me. And sometimes they did and sometimes they hadn't. But in the NIV, again, it says, a fool shows his annoyance at once. And so many times, those of us who are Christians, I'd say especially within the public sphere or on social media, someone will say something or post something that's incendiary towards Christianity. And we'll blow up and we'll, we'll say uh, mean things about that person. Or, or, or we'll get very angry at these things. But a fool... And only a fool shows his annoyance at once. Someone who's a Christian should be somebody who responds with grace. Why? Because we've been redeemed to redeem the world around us. We've been people who have received so much grace. You cannot become a Christian without first understanding the reality that I need the grace of God. Which means this, I am sinful, I need Jesus, there's no way that I can save myself. There's no way that I can get along, that I can get to God without him saving me, without him redeeming me. And so what this means is that when I'm in the world and I'm uh, operating with, throughout my sphere of influence, whether it's in my home life or whether it's in uh, the, the world around me, in social media, at my work, among my friends, a fool shows his annoyance at once. But the prudent ignores an insult. What he says here is that the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. How are you gracious? And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Is that when that begins to kind of rumble inside of you, just the annoyance of somebody saying something that's blatantly not true. Maybe they're saying something about Jesus. Maybe they're talking even about God himself. And they're saying, you know, God this, or God, God there's no purpose for God, there's no, there's no real God, there's, there's, uh, God is just this angry uh, figure from this book, the Bible, that's made up stories and so forth. Do you know that you can be somebody who's gracious there and respond in grace by saying this, you know what, I want you to know that I respect your opinion and it's okay that you feel that way. I think differently, but you know what? I'd love to talk to you about it sometime. That's it. That's it. Love you, man. I, lo I, I love you. I have grace for you because Jesus has an unending supply of grace for me. You can be somebody who says, I have grace for the people around me. I am gracious. And what happens is this, is that there is a favor that comes about with that. When it comes to people who have differing religious views, so many times we find ourselves in this situation where we feel like we need to defend the faith, or we need to get really good at blocking all of their arguments. Well, there's this, and then there's that, and then there's this. And there may be some things in there that you need to know. I'm sure there are. 
How do our religions differ? But listen, somebody who is gracious comes to the table and we try to find agreement on so many different levels. I try to find agreement with the people that I most vehemently disagree with because of this. I want them to see the grace of Jesus coming through from me. I want them to understand the grace of Jesus coming about in the midst of our conversation. So I try to find as much agreement as I possibly can in so many different ways, not to validate an incorrect religious point of view or an incorrect view of Jesus Christ, but because I get to win a hearing in that. You know what? That's really cool. I believe the same thing about Jesus. But you know what? Here's where I would perhaps differ just a little bit. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he willingly went to the cross and that he paid a penalty that I deserved. And I, I just want you to know that that's what I believe about, about Jesus. That's cool. What else do you believe? It opens up a conversation, so you get to be gracious. If I, can, if I say nothing else that even matters today, I want you to hear this. May the people of Outward Church be known for the way that they graciously respond to the people who disagree with them in our culture. I really want you to know and understand that. Please, please, please respond graciously to those who would disagree with this. The issue of homosexuality is upon us every single day. It's in the news. It's in the Supreme Court right now. There will be a decision that's handed down in June, which most likely will affect churches on a mass scale. At some point, it will come to that, most likely. That's where our culture is going. Churches will most likely, I'm, I'm going to guess here, and many people are guessing this as well, will lose their nonprofit status. So when you give to Outward Church in a few years, it's very likely that that gift will no longer be tax deductible. Why? Because we take a biblical viewpoint on sexuality, which says this, that marriage is between a man and a woman. But here's the thing. What is going to characterize Outward Church within our culture? In spite of the fact that we disagree, do we have to come to the table angry and say, I disagree with you? Ah, ah, ah. No. We get to come to the table and we get to say, you know what? I've been redeemed and your sin is no different than my sin. I am somebody who's completely lost. I am somebody who had no idea uh, about the love of Jesus Christ until I really saw him on the cross and I understood that that was for me and I just want you to know that I love and that I care about you and we find every way possible to love on people that disagree with us. We find every possible way to say to them that I love you in every possible way that I can support you, I am going to support you insofar as I am not violating a biblical principle. That's what we're going to do for our friends and our neighbors who disagree with us vehemently on this issue and, in fact, desire our demise, the loss of the church's nonprofit status. Did you know that's just an American thing? Did you know that Christianity thrives in areas where there's absolute persecution. There's no such thing as uh, nonprofit status in China. It's the underground church. How do they get along? Well, the way that the church has for centuries. We'll continue here. Verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth, the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. He's speaking of the fool here, and he's saying it begins with foolishness, and it ends with evil madness. Proverbs 10.23 says, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. When I look at this verse from Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes, what I think of is this, is that there's this level of foolishness that's in our world. And it begins with just kind of this light foolishness, but then it extends all the way to evil madness. It begins with things like the desensitization of our society in matters of sexuality. Whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, either way, it begins with that, and then it extends all the way to you have a movie 
that is now on video, which is essentially propagating the idea that women should be under subjection to men. And that they should serve men in every way that the man thinks that they should. And it is celebrated among our culture. It's absolute insanity that that is on a movie screen today because, listen, the beginning of that was just foolishness. The end of it is evil madness. The subjection of women and ultimately the reinforcement of these ideas among young men or all men who think it's okay to take a woman whenever he wants to. You talk about the problem on our college campuses of rape and you can't deal with this issue. It's on a movie screen. It's making money. We're celebrating it. Oh, those two things are unconnected. Oh, really? Are they? Even many people in our world today who do not claim to be Christians agree with the fact that this movie is wrong. But the beginning is foolishness and the end is evil madness. Our society is on a one-way track that way. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. We've been redeemed to redeem the world around us to stand up for truth within our society and to say, I disagree with this because it's not only wrong, but it's bad for our ladies. It's going to be bad for my daughter. It's going to be bad for your daughter and for your wife. It's going to be bad for your friends. Whether you are the aggressor or the person who's being taken advantage of. It's bad for everybody. The beginning of this is foolishness. The end is evil madness. Verse 14 says this. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? What's a fool do? A fool sits there and talks and talks and talks and talks. Proverbs 18, 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. Do you take time to hear and to understand what's going on in our world when it comes to race? Do you understand that so many times? Uh, the, those of us who are white find ourselves saying, I don't understand why they burned their community to the ground. And so many of them are saying this, like if you understood where these people are coming from, you'd understand why they did things like this. And I don't understand it. I'm not in that community. And I'm not a part of that. I'm not agreeing with it. But I'm just saying this, that there's been no understanding that we've put forward into these issues oftentimes. And then we voice our opinions. And I want you to know that, I mean, there are things that we disagree with. We disagree with rioting. We disagree with arson. There's no doubt about it. But what really needs to happen is that Christian people need to stand up and say, I want to be a man of understanding. I want to be a man or a woman of understanding. I want to understand where they're coming from. I want to hear what's going on. Their greatest need is not even to stop rioting. Their greatest need is to be heard and then to be told the gospel, to hear what the gospel of Jesus Christ is so that when they come upon these injustices in the future, assuming that there has been injustice in those, in those, in those realms, that they get to say this, that Jesus, my Lord, was unjustly crucified. And so therefore, I can deal with injustice and I can show grace to those who have been unjust to me. The gospel is the need in that society. It's not us correcting them. The gospel is the greatest need. But so many times we find ourselves running our mouth, running our mouth, running our mouth, saying things that we should not be saying. And it's not just about race. It's really about anything. It's about over-talking. It's about talking too much. It's about spouting your opinions. I said this last week, the hashtag just saying or just saying essentially means this. I want to announce what I think just so you know. Just so you know, I just want you to hear exactly what I think. This is what a fool does. 
A fool shows his annoyance at once, voices his opinion, begins talking about it. He or she can commit this, but this is not what characterizes people who fear God. This is not what even characterizes people who are just simply wise in our society. You can look at people who are truly wise in our society, even non-believers, and say, listen, they do not just announce their opinions like this. Even the world knows this, but Christians especially think that somehow they have a license to just sit and talk and talk and talk without ever listening to the people who have been hurt. And I mean the people that you vehemently disagree with. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about that. I'm reading the story of Jonah to my kids over the last uh, few nights. And I was trying to explain to them why it was so difficult for Jonah to be sent to Nineveh. Because the Ninevites were awful people. And Jonah sat there and said, they don't deserve it. I'm not going there. It's dangerous. I hate them. They hate me. There's no way I want to go there. This is his viewpoint. He's, he's saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then when he finally goes to Nineveh, and he tells them this word, you have 40 days and you're going to be overthrown, and they go, ha, ha, we better turn things around. And Jonah goes, ah. Oh. He just gets upset, and he gets angry. And God essentially comes to Jonah, and he says this. He says, do you think it's okay for you to be angry at me? Do you think it's okay for you to be angry at these things? I mean, let's bring this into today's terms. How in the world could you be angry at somebody who you think somehow doesn't deserve the grace of God, and yet God is willingly pouring out his grace and his mercy on them. How in the world could you do that? Are you going to be Jonah and refuse to go? You're going to put up a roadblock and just say, you know what, forget you. I'm just going to say what I think is true, and I'm just going to announce this to the world. Or are you finally going to relent and just say, because he's redeemed me, I am here to show them the true Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That's what I'm here to do. James 3, verse 6. If I could find it, this would be a great point. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Do you hear that? Your and my mouth is staining our entire body. It's setting things on fire. And you know what? It shows us who we are. And you can claim that you love Jesus, and you can claim that you go to church, and you can claim all kinds of things. But I want to tell you, if you don't go to those who hate you the most, if you don't show grace to those, and in fact, you go the other direction, I want to tell you that that verse is no comfort. Your tongue is setting you on fire. And I would say this. I would say what this verse is saying. It is showing the true place of your heart. Your hope is not in Jesus Christ. It is in yourself and in your own righteousness. That is the only way that you can stand in front of somebody, point the finger, and say, how dare you disobey God's laws because of this. Because you have disobeyed God's laws. That is the quintessential understanding of a Christian. It's the only way to get in. I've disobeyed God's laws. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus Christ. Real Christianity is not being moral. Real, real Christianity is understanding my immorality. 
Real Christianity isn't saying, okay, I'm a Christian, now everything needs to be perfect. No, it's a continued understanding of my immorality and the grace of Jesus Christ that pours out. That pours out. That pours out. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. It's, I, I sin and he's just gracious to me. I sin and he's gracious to me. And you might say, as Paul addresses in Romans, well, then, if that's what it is, then why don't I just keep on sinning? And Paul says, no, you don't understand the gospel then. You don't understand what Jesus has done for you because if you just keep on going sinning purposefully all the time, then the thing is that you don't really understand the grace of Jesus Christ because the true grace of Jesus Christ, when it's upon you, what happens is this. I sin and he forgives me. And I can't believe he forgives me, but oh my goodness, I sin and he forgives me. And man, you know what? His love and his grace and his mercy are being poured out on me. And so therefore, what I want to do is I want to love him back. That's the position of a Christian who says this, I'm sinful. And then we get to come to people who want to refuse to believe that their sin is causing guilt and shame in their life. They want to refuse this. If you don't know Jesus here today, many times what we do when we don't know Jesus is this. We say, you know what? That's not a real rule. That's just a made-up rule. I can cross that line. That's fine. But you and I both know that you follow rules in your life. And you expect lots of people to follow rules in your life. You don't want people to kill you. You don't want people to take your wife or your daughter and abuse them. So you follow rules. There's lots of rules in this world. Where do you think you got those rules? Those rules are the same rules that you're breaking, just on a different level, through hating your brother or your sister. And so what's true is this, is that you have to understand something, and that is that the grace of Jesus Christ comes, and he saves us from our sin. In spite of the fact that we've tried to say, oh, there is no sin, he saves us from our sin. And while I'm sitting there spitting at God and I'm saying, forget you, he's dying for me. And he's dying for you. I have to keep going. What we do. Verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Or what's that saying? A fool, when he goes to work, gets so tired that he can't find his way home. And it's ba it, I, I think what Solomon is doing here, he's basically kind of giving us a picture of this fool who's just like, he can't even handle a little bit of work. That's my thought. It's a little bit shrouded, though. Verse 16 says this, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. What's he saying? He's saying this. He's saying, when a land has a king who feasts in the morning, which means this, he's partying, he's getting wasted, he's not feasting at the proper time. When there is a land who has this type of a ruler, they're in trouble, especially when they're an adolescent. Now let's take a step back and just say that's in the political world. What about our personal world? Foolishness hurts those under your care. In your home, as an authority figure, you are king. In your home, in your work, if you're in charge of people, you are a king in some ways. And what's he saying here? He's saying this, those who do not, who feast at the wrong time, who live their life in such a way that they just do whatever they want, they're just foolish. It's bad for the people under your care. You're mistreating the people that you're supposed to be caring for. Now you could say, wow, he's really hot and bothered about partying. Well, I would just say this. It can extend into so many different areas of your life. And it can just say this. There's a proper time to celebrate. And there's an improper time to celebrate. But we can just get very serious about this too and just say that some of you are partying. And some of you are involved in feasting at the improper time. And you're living like a child and you're going to hurt those under your care. 
because you're basically living like an adolescent. It's like you're a, a continual high school kid and you're hurting the people around you. That's what this wisdom says. Verse 17 says, Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. This is saying things are going to go well in your home, in your job, when feasting happens at the proper time and people aren't getting plastered or just gording themselves on food, but people are truly engaged in saying, I need the nutrients from this food and I need to take care of the people that are around me. Some of you need to change the way that you live your life because you're feasting on the wrong things at the wrong time. But if you're a son of nobility, you're gonna feast at the proper time. And I, I, listen, some of you need to stop acting like high school kids. I wanna speak to some of our men right now. I don't know where you're at, I don't know what you're into, but some of you need to stop acting like high school kids. The college days are over. You're a family man. Many of you are a family man. Some of you who are single, you're going to be a family man. And you need to pull it together and to understand this, that God has called you to be a son of nobility. And he's called you to care for those that are under your home, under your roof. That includes your wife and your children. And to feast at the proper time. It means that you're getting up at a, at a good hour in the day. Start this while you're young. If you're single, get up at a good time in the morning. Begin your work. Don't spend all your time partying. Celebrate what God has given you, not to the point of drunkenness, but to the point where you can say, I truly am celebrating what God has done for me. Some of you need to heed this warning. In fact, all of us on some level, but some of you to a greater degree. He says this in verse 18, through saw sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Through laziness, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. There's things happening in our lives, and so many of us want to say, well, I guess God hasn't provided it, so I guess, you know, what have you. I'll just wait for somebody else to come do this for me. Some of you are single moms and you really can't fix your roof. And so this isn't about laziness, this is about ability. So don't take this the wrong way. Mark Driscoll used to talk about the righteous poor and the unrighteous poor. And some of you are righteous in that you just don't have the means to be able to do this, either through disability or lack of funds. But some of you are unrighteous and you just refuse to help yourself. And that's really what this is talking about here. Like you refuse to work. You refuse to fix your roof. And as a result, what's happening is this, is that the roof is leaking, it's sinking in. And your family's being leaked on. And it's a metaphor on some level, but it may be for real on another level. But the metaphor is this. Again, let's speak to the men here. You need to work. You need to get a job. You need to support your family. You need to take that on as a responsibility that you have. And some of you, I, I don't want to create guilt here because we've had a rough time in the economy. And some of you have had a hard time finding work either because of some kind of a uh, criminal record or just, again, some type of a disability of some sort. And I, I feel for you. So this is not for you, but for those of us that have the ability, you must work. You must work. This is what God has for you through sloth. The roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Stop blaming it on everything else. Well, I just got this problem. I got that problem. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do you understand what that's saying? It's, it, it's saying that people need to work. And provide for their, their family members around them. Specifically men 
need to be working. Now, I, I want to tell you, I think it's a tough subject. You've got some people that have families that operate on a, on a different way, where the wife is the breadwinner. I think each situation needs to be taken separately. I, I would rather not see that happen because you've got a guy who just wants to be lazy. I'd rather see that happen in a situation where a guy says, my wife has this dream of doing this. She's a part of our family. She, she helps our children. She, she loves them intently. She's here for them. She's not overworking, but she has this dream to be X, Y, and Z, and I want to support that, and so I'm going to stay home for a little while. I'd rather it see, see it happen on that level than a guy who just says, you know what? I just don't like working. And in fact, I've seen that. I've seen that, and that's rough. That's rough. Verse 19 says this, Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Again, a verse that's difficult to understand. What's he saying here? You're usually happy when you have food in your stomach. Bread is made for laughter. It's, it's nice to have food. I don't know if you feel that way, but I, I, I like it when I have something to eat. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life. You're even happier when you have a little bit of wine. I don't know. You may not like wine. Whatever. Let's call it juice, grape juice, for those of you that have an issue with wine. Whatever. Uh, grape juice gladdens life, all right? So you've got some food, stomach's happy. Got some wine or grape juice, whatever you prefer, and uh, it's, it, you're a little bit happier. And money's the answer to all of those things. I just want some food. Well, you need money. And some of you are going, uh, is, he, is this really a point right now? I, it is. It is. If you want food, and if you want some wine, then you've got to work. Because money is the answer to those things. It just goes without saying. It doesn't mean that you should pursue money at all costs. What it means is this, is that money is not the root of all evil. It is a root of all evil, but it is not the root of all evil because it is also the root of all meals, right? You've got to have money in order to buy food. And I've seen some really ridiculous things happen within Christian ministry. Oh, I'm a minister and I'm not going to work because God's just going to provide for me. Now, you may be in a situation where you just simply can't work. You're in a foreign country and something's happened. or whatever. I get it. God can provide in that way. But God has also given you the ability to work here and now. I've seen guys, uh, you know, I've seen some folks go overseas, not take any money with them, and we're just going to depend on God. We're just going to do that. They then had a Facebook campaign saying, Help us come home because we don't have any more money. Who's exalted through that? Who's glorified through that? That doesn't make any sense to me. To sit there and say that, oh, this stuff is just going to come to me. God has given, given you the ability to work, and you must understand the value of money in your life. Not to overvalue it and not to undervalue it, but to understand that that's the place that it holds. Verse 20, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Now, what's that basically saying? When it comes to living your life, first of all, he says, what you say is important. Then he's talking about what you do, how you work how you present yourself to society, but then how do you treat the people around you? He's talking in a political realm, but in a personal realm, what, what could he possibly be saying there? He's saying when your thoughts are on the level of talking trash about people, you feel this way about them, you feel that way about them. He's saying people in positions of power have the ability sometimes to hear things that you may not think that they can hear. Perhaps it's in your inflection or just a side comment that you say about somebody. People always find out about it. As a pastor, this is true. People think they're saying things privately, but there's always a little birdie in the room. I just want you to know. I know what you said about me, all right? 
partially true. I'd like you to think that I do. So, uh, What it's saying here is don't talk trash about people. It's unhealthy for you to even think bad thoughts about them because oftentimes those things come back around to bite you. When you talk trash about people, the way that you're viewed in your work is not looked at greatly. The way you're viewed is oftentimes as somebody who is stirring up trouble. You can look on many business websites that talk about hiring, talk about the people that you should avoid, and it, it, they're saying this, avoid people who talk trash about other people. Avoid people who are going to stir up dissension and cause problems and start fights and things like that. And that begins in your mind. It begins in the way that you think about your boss. It begins in the way that you think about your pastor. It begins in the way that you think about your husband. It begins in the way that you think about your wife. It begins in the way that you think about everybody around you. Because ultimately, the biggest fear is not so much that they're going to hear you, but you're going to create strife within the midst of your relationships. Now, all of this that we've just talked about is this. It is avoiding foolishness, and it's going after wisdom. It's avoiding foolishness, and it's going after wisdom. But how do we go after the wisdom of God truly? How do we go after the wisdom of God truly? 1 Corinthians 1 says this, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through, what? Folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. There's a wisdom that agrees with our society on some level. That's what Solomon is talking about here. But then there's another wisdom that comes from God. And I would argue this, all wisdom comes from God. But there's a wisdom that doesn't seem like wisdom, but it seems like foolishness to our world. So there's this kind of juxtaposition where, on one hand, I don't want to be foolish according to the world, but on another hand, there is this foolishness that our world is never going to accept. And if you don't get these two things right, you're going to miss it completely. You're going to miss it absolutely completely because what he's saying here is he's saying we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block. And it's the power of God. It's Christ crucified on the cross. And what this means is essentially that we have a new king. You remember what he said here in Ecclesiastes in, in verse Verse 17, happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility. Do you know this? If you're thinking, oh, man, we just need a better president. We just need somebody, and he's going to bring this world together. Well, guess what? Your happiness is only circumstantial. Your happiness is only as good as you are a good leader. Your happiness will only go that far. If politics are in your favor, you'll be happy. If you're operating on a moral level, the moral standard that you've set, then you'll be happy. But here's the foolishness that comes from the gospel. The foolishness is this, that we have a king, and he is the son of nobility, and he sits on a throne, and we will sit with him, and we will feast at the proper time. And this feast will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there will be no more crying, and there will be no more tears, because Jesus is our true king. That's eternity, but today, how does that help you? I'm not dependent on whether I'm completely unfoolish and totally wise. I'm not dependent on whether my boss is a fool, or whether my husband is a fool, or whether my wife is a fool. Whether my teacher is a fool, I'm not, my happiness isn't circumstantial. My happiness is guaranteed. Because Jesus is my king. He is the son of nobility. He's the one who's on the throne. 
He's the one who went to the cross, and he's the one I will dine with. So Christians, here's your hope. You're not hopeful that this decision that comes down from the Supreme Court is in your favor. It doesn't matter because Jesus is our king. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility. It's not happy are you, O land, when a Supreme Court decision comes down that's favorable. Happy are you, O land, when your son is the king of nobility. Listen to this. Jesus needs to be your king. Otherwise, your happiness will be circumstantial. Jesus needs to be your king. Otherwise, you'll never be able to forgive yourself for the foolishness in your life. Jesus is the only one who will forgive you. Your standard will not. Give your life to Jesus Christ by trusting in him today and saying, I will no longer trust in myself to be the standard of righteousness. I'll no longer trust in myself to be the one who's the gatekeeper on this. Jesus is my king. He is the son of nobility. And I will feast with him forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning I come to you and I ask for men and women who are committed to wisdom and their daily life. But Lord, I also sincerely hope and desire that they'd be people who know and understand the foolishness of the cross. That it doesn't seem like it follows and it doesn't seem like it works. But it's the foolishness of the king, the son of nobility who goes to the cross for us. And as a result, he changes our lives. Lord Jesus, we pray for that. We pray that we, we would be people that trust in what our, what our world thinks is foolishness. But Lord, on the other hand, there's some common sense things that come from you ultimately that say that we must watch our mouth and the way that we live matters because it reflects on who you are. So Lord, I pray that we would be people of grace who understand that we've been redeemed to redeem the world around us. Well, we ask you for this in your son's great name. Amen.